right. Well, you're listening to WMRW LP Warren, and it's 5 o'clock and time for Politics and Science. And Politics and Science is live today for a change. And I'm very honored that I have Dr. Raymond Pete back uh, on the line here in the studio. And let me bring him up here. Um, I'm going to use the same bio I had for you years ago, right, which is that uh, you have a Ph.D. in biology from the University of Oregon and with a specialization in physiology. And I also consider you a science historian and ombudsman. I've added that. If you want to correct that, please feel free. Okay. <laughs> okay, no corrections then, huh? No. All right. Um, well, I've wanted to get you on again because uh, uh, you're, you're interesting to hear on any subject and uh, we particularly have this weird um, uh, emergency going on here that I think has got everybody spinning, and that's the uh, so-called Corona-19, or what's it called, COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, I, yeah. Um, and I just wanted to get your take on that, and um, and then maybe we could talk about the, the science behind uh, pandemics and viruses and 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 all of that, and maybe cover vaccines at the end. So uh, f- feel free to just uh, jump in. And what what do you think is going on right now? Um, uh, first of all, I, I'm not sure anything special is going on in the virus and infection world. It, it, it's definitely happening in the media and politics. Mexico isn't getting excited, uh, and they've had. Uh, I think 16 mild cases, uh, but uh, uh, the um, CDC uh, for years has been uh, reporting the annual uh, respiratory or flu-like death uh, rate as being uh, in the tens of thousands of deaths per year in the United States, Uh, and so 100 or 200 uh, the, the average uh, uh, number of deaths from respiratory disease being, say, 30 or 40,000, uh, we, uh, if, if you look at the uh, historic percentage of those uh, uh, respiratory diseases, about a tenth, 10, 10% of them, roughly from 5 to 15%, uh, are uh, historically uh, coronavirus infections, and the others are, are things as simple as as rhinovirus uh, or uh, uh, respiratory syncytial virus. Uh, uh, things that are range from uh, mild sniffles uh, up to uh, uh, serious pneumonia, but historically. Uh, about 10% are corona-type virus. And uh, so uh, if 30 or 40,000 people are expected to die from a flu-like respiratory disease, we would expect to have 3,000 or 4,000 deaths per year from a coronavirus respiratory infection. So uh, I, I don't see any evidence at all that anything is happening on on the real biological level. 
uh, are you there? Um, the line seems to have. Sorry, Ray. Gone. Sorry, that was my fault. Do you hear me now? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was just saying that um, that the official line is that the, the crisis actually hasn't happened yet. But you're saying in a given year we should still see three to four thousand deaths from coronavirus. Um, uh, uh, yeah, and in, in an average year, that that could still happen. We could get up to the average mortality associated with coronaviruses, but mm-hmm. we, we're not not approaching that by a long way so far. So yeah. a, a lower than average year, as far as the actual figures that exist uh, indicate. So just looking at the actual numbers, it looks like we're slightly deficient in cases and deaths of respiratory problems associated with that virus. And that's looking at the historical data. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, and if you look at, have you checked out the Chinese or the Asian data at this point? Or are they up? Is the corona deaths up from their average? Um, uh, yeah, uh, they they haven't talked about the average uh, <clears throat> for corona. Uh, they they weren't doing gathering that data, but uh, uh, they say this is just slightly uh, more d- deadly than a typical uh, influenza virus or the other things causing respiratory disease. So it is. Uh, uh, somewhat, according to their figures, just slightly more more deadly. But uh, the problem is uh, Italy always has had about twice as many respiratory or, or flu-like uh, deaths per year hmm. per capita as the United States. Oh. Uh, so it isn't uh, unusual for them to be especially hard hit. But what makes the number go up is that uh, they have been primarily testing sick people in hospitals, mm-hmm. and and if you, it's the same with cancer diagnosis. Uh, if you uh, go all out to uh, look for cancer in a, a population of middle age and old age in the cancer range, you, you'll find a hundred percent cancers if you're really really thorough in uh, your diagnosis. And so the more you diagnose, the more you can find mm-hmm. people People die at the same rate unless you treat them. If you increase your treatment for cancer, as you increase the diagnosis, the treatment is going to kill more and more. But but uh, you can make your, your treatments looking look better by diagnosing more and more cases which are harmless. Same with the flu or, or the coronavirus. If you test everyone in the population, uh, you'll get all of these people with very mild reactions. Uh, and so it'll look like uh, in uh, South Korea, for example, 0.6% because they tested more people. I see so the, the dying people become a smaller percep- percentage when you test a, a more representative uh, cross-section of the population. Yeah, I see. So that's a, a bit of maybe it's uh, just uh, an accident that because they're looking for the diseases in the most vul- vulnerable that they test the sickest people first. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, so that, if, if restricted to the uh, the people in the hospital on respirators, uh, then you, you'll find that uh, mo- most of them have uh, uh, serious viruses, probably multiple uh, respiratory viruses. I see. Uh, when you're very sick, uh, various uh, viruses that have been uh, carried harmlessly will pop to the surface and and get measured. I see, because your immune system is compromised. Yeah. Now, uh, if we could back up a little bit, because I am confused, and probably other people are too, exactly what is, what's the difference between a virus and a bacteria, and, and also what is particular, particular, I can't talk, particular about the coronavirus? Uh, almost all bacteria are uh, free-living in a sense. They, they can... Uh, generally live outside of cells if, if you feed them the right stuff and give them the right uh, temperature and other conditions. Uh, they are they have the apparatus to reproduce their own genetic material, and, and the virus uh, depends on uh, entering a, a cell, either a bacterium or, or a higher organism's cell, and, and taking advantage of their machinery like ribosomes that can uh, produce proteins uh, from nucleic acids. Uh, and so these viruses put in their their bit of nucleic acid uh, once they can uh, get into the cell, uh, and uh, that uh, is processed on our uh, uh, ribosomes, the endoplasmic reticulum, uh, and proteins are added uh, to the replicated nucleic acid, and then it's excreted uh, as a finished particle by our ordinary cell excretory system, secretory system. So in a healthy person, if you encounter a virus, uh, even if it's a new virus that nobody's seen, do you think we're able to conquer that or um, at least isolate it so it doesn't do I, any harm? Uh, yeah, for example, on the surface, the, the respiratory surface uh, in, in our lungs uh, and the tubes leading into the air sacs, uh, the air sacs uh, are lined uh, with uh, epithelial cells that can secrete. Uh, there, there are cells uh, around the, the air sac that secrete mucus that cover the uh, uh, epithelial cells and to uh, reduce the surface tension so that the air sac will stay open. Uh, there's a protein uh, uh, called a, a surfactant protein that has an oily, uh, 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 oil, oil-loving, uh, uh, lipophilic fraction, uh, so it acts like a soap. Uh, and, uh, the a water-loving part of the protein uh, dissolves in, in this mucus uh, layer on the uh, cell lining the air sac, and the oily surface uh, reduces the surface tension so that the uh, air sac uh, can stay open uh, without extreme tension. And that surfactant protein contains groups that will collect uh, the sugar-like uh, 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 surfaces of the uh, viral proteins or other 
uh, any pathogen uh, possibility that hits that surfactant protein uh, will get glued, glued down uh, by these uh, 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 binding particles. Hmm. Uh, so it's our, our first layer of defense. Uh, and uh, uh, then in, in and around the epithelial layer, uh, we have uh, the, the reactive parts of the immune system. Uh, the angiotensin uh, converting enzyme uh, is uh, one, one of the early parts of our, our immune system that sets up an inflammatory reaction that will uh, set in action a whole chain of, of events. Uh, if if the, the pathogen gets through and is actually a threat, then you activate this proteolytic protein that creates angiotensin, which is like a transmitter of a panic reaction to the organism. And it happens that this coronavirus is able to bind to uh, one of these angiotensin-converting enzymes. Uh, there is one which uh, is only pro-inflammatory and another one that backs that up, which uh, undoes, uh, uh, in, inhibits the inflammatory damage uh, done by the first angiotensin-producing enzyme. Uh, this is called ACE2, uh, and ACE2 happens to be attacked by this particular uh, virus, uh, which binds to that enzyme, and uh, that's called the uh, uh, receptor. Uh, it's a vulnerable point of the organism as far as this virus is concerned, and uh, binding to that ACE2 means that it leaves the ACE, uh, the, first the ACE1, which produces angiotensin, it leaves that free to act. And ACE2 is capable of inactivating angiotensin, breaking it down to the, the first seven uh, 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 amino acids. Uh, they call it angiotensin 1 to 7. And this is a defensive anti-inflammatory uh, peptide. So if your uh, ACE2 is knocked out, angiotensin has a free range to um, cause damage. Uh, so the virus increases the inflammatory reaction by, by sticking to this defensive enzyme. And that... Uh, enzyme uh, combined with the virus then acts uh, to enter the cell uh, by way uh, of the angiotensin receptor, which is called the AT1. Uh, there are two known uh, receptors by which angiotensin uh, can, can do its uh, damage. Uh, angiotensin 1 is strictly uh, an inflammation uh, producing uh, uh, system. Uh, the angiotensin 2 uh, 
produces some somewhat defensive uh, reactions. But it happens that the uh, uh, virus enzyme uh, combination enters the cell uh, by way of uh, angiotensin uh, receptor 1, AT1, and that turns on a, a whole range of, of uh, destructive processes, uh, uh, nitric oxide and serotonin, for example. And so just looking at the effects, uh, it, it's obvious that you could defend by anything that defends you against nitric oxide and, and serotonin. I see. Which are inflammatory mediators. Uh, yeah. So anti-inflammatory things are, are the, the known treatment for this kind of virus. The Chinese for years have been using uh, sinanserin, which is a serotonin blocker for other uh, treatments, and they find that it's helpful for people with the established uh, respiratory uh, corona infection. And what was the name of that again, Ray? The uh, Chinese? Sinanserin, C-I-N-A-N-S-E-R-I-N. Okay. And Losartan, which is a high blood pressure drug, is... The, the most uh, well-known uh, blocker of angiotensin uh, uh, one receptor, uh, candy sartan, and uh, there are several others. But losartan is is cheap and uh, widely available. How do you spell that? L o s a r t a n. Ah, just like it sounds. <laughs> and what did you call that drug, Ray? Is a certain type of angiotensin one. Receptor blocker. <laughs> okay, it's quite a uh, an action film you just painted for us there. I I, I could follow it all, but I, it's it seemed pretty um, uh, basically interesting. It, uh, the virus just activates uh, 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 an inflammatory process that many other things activate. Uh, so so uh, things that uh, would uh, primarily activate nitric oxide production or serotonin production or histamine or prostaglandin production. Any of these tend to end up in the same condition. Uh, so uh, I, I think uh, without, without knowing uh, more about the nature of the infection, I think uh, people who are taking aspirin, uh, for example, uh, it, it has a wide range of antiviral properties it, it's already known uh, to uh, re reduce infection from from the standard influenza virus hepatitis c virus uh, uh, rhinovirus uh, half a dozen uh, well-known uh, uh, viruses are are uh, blocked by uh, common aspirin uh, there was a study of hiv even in which they saw beneficial effects from aspirin. Yeah, well, that's certainly available and very cheap, mm -hmm. although and, uh, much uh, maligned. Vitamin, uh, uh, vitamin D happens to, uh, uh, one of its effects, uh, uh, like, like progesterone uh, and aspirin, uh, all of our known uh, protective uh, uh, pro-immune but anti-inflammatory things, uh, lower the uh, uh, 
expression of antitensin receptor 1. Uh, so, so they uh, predispose us to be less uh, inflammable. So it sounded like when you say that the, um, see if I can get my words correctly here, um, when, you, when they enter your lungs, uh, your cells put out a kind of um, a lipid of some kind? A, a, um, uh, well, naturally, we are just uh, once we're, we're born and start breathing, uh, we depend on, on the production of this surfactant protein. Uh, so it's, it's everywhere normally. And our intestines have, have similar layers of defenses uh, uh, right at the very surface. Mucus uh, will uh, be a, a barrier against infection and then uh, at the surface layers of, of cells and so on. And th these viruses, the coronaviruses, don't just uh, uh, specialize uh, on the lungs. They can infect the mucous membranes in the nose and the intestine. Uh, so uh, the, the thing that uh, uh, some some people have been saying that runny noses aren't uh, connected as a, a precursor of, of the lung infection, but uh, uh, a Russian virologist says that looking at tens of thousands of patients, he saw that a runny nose was a typical precursor to the, the rest of the lung infection symptoms, and that the intestine is just as prone to infection as the lungs. Hmm. So eating something could make you sick if you're, if you're feeling weak. Now, um, I don't know if that's true, but it's possible to eat the virus and it, it could attack your intestines. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah. If you get it in your mouth and swallow it, it could yeah. infect those as well. I see. Even though your stomach acid, you'd think, would take care of it. Um, not necessarily. Uh, yeah. the, the stomach acid doesn't uh, break down uh, the, the nucleic acid. Oh, I see. Now, if you're a healthy person, the the mucus, I understand, is, is often a protective layer, correct? Like, I think you just said that. And would, um, if your mucus is healthy and and working correctly, would it be able to kill the virus, or is this virus just too much for it? Yeah, the, the surface cells, including the mucus, have proteins analogous to the surfactant in the lung, uh, proteins that collect the uh, surface groups of a pathogen and bind them together. Uh, so it's just like uh, putting flypaper on them, sort of. Oh, yeah. Right, and, and I was thinking it sounded a little bit like soap. You said it was soap-like. Um, um, uh, yeah, the, the uh, hydrophobic uh, surface uh, uh, is, is itself uh, tends to disorganize uh, some of the uh, uh, invaders. Uh, for instance, they're telling us to wash our hands all the time. And how does soap kill a virus? Do you, do you know? I'm taking the, the proteins, dissolving, uh, making r relatively insoluble things soluble because the soap has that uh, hydrophobic uh, fraction that sticks to hydrophobic insoluble parts of, of an organism and, and uh, disassembles it I see. inside out. Right. So that's 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 a good good thing. Now. Is the is the COVID nineteen? It sounds like it's a little better at at uh, breaking into our system, so to speak. 
than a normal cold, cold which is also, I've heard a cold is also a coronavirus. Is that true? I, I no, uh, uh, cold can can be caused by uh, any of these uh, if your immune system is good. Uh, uh, like one study uh, found that almost half of all of the respiratory infections they couldn't identify a particular cause. Uh, but the the rhinovirus was the biggest at about 30 uh, percent. That's the most common cold virus that is identified. But there are lots of unknown things that cause those symptoms. Uh, and then the coronavirus is in the range of, of, of somewhere between 5 and 15 percent of those uh, respiratory infections. I see. Um, so do you think the reaction of the government at this point is is um, over the top, considering... Um, unless it was their purpose to create international chaos, for example, to try to finish off Iran by uh, cutting off their medical supplies uh, while they're having a... That's right. That's right. The Trump administration is intensifying the sanctions at this point. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but you would you would suppose that it would fit into their plans, uh, and if it's uh, not really a threat, otherwise it becomes a threat when you do all of these insane things. Uh, for example, I just learned that all of my favorite brands of milk have been discontinued for the duration of the, the panic. Really, I hadn't. Why is that? I don't know. I don't. Are they, they are they claiming milk as a carrier? Um, no, no, but uh, I have noticed that uh, over the last several weeks, uh, the Lucerne brand that I normally get, uh, they had reduced it to one little row in the supermarket and weren't replenishing that. But then today they said they were discontinuing it. Wow, that's annoying. Yeah. Well, worse than annoying because you don't have any milk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'm sort of puzzled by the reaction, and uh, everybody around here is is you know trying to trying to cope with it. Yeah, the, the media, in, including the big science media like like Nature, uh, the international science magazine, uh, they are getting kind of excited uh, in denying uh, that it was an intentionally created virus which was uh, leaked either accidentally or intentionally. They, they uh, just, uh, I think, yesterday published a paper explaining uh, technically why it would be impossible for them to have done it. But uh, the fact that they're rushing so fast to deny uh, that it could have been leaked accidentally out of a lab. But when you look at the fact that normally they say that it takes over a year to produce a vaccine to a new uh, uh, respiratory infection, but they're already now within weeks uh, saying that they have a vaccine ready to test. The purpose of CDC patenting the coronavirus uh, uh, 17 years ago was uh, deliberately to create pathogens experimentally to 
enable them to anticipate a, a pathogen uh, so that they could create have have a vaccine ready. So their intention was to have a vaccine ready by creating a pathogen, but now they're saying they couldn't possibly have created this, but they do happen to have a vaccine almost ready to use. Uh, so by, by their own declarations, it sounds very suspicious. Yeah, I, I, I feel like there's a tremendous conflict of interest at the CDC. Um, I, I know we're supposed to respect yes, them. Uh, yes, same as, as at the World Health Organization. Uh, the head of that on January 29th said it's not a pandemic, and then the next day said it is a pandemic. Mm. I, I think something happened to him politically. I see. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, they haven't. A pandemic was supposed to reach a much higher bar, as my understanding, um, than we've reached at this point. Uh, well, uh, as I said, I, I don't see any evidence that it's anything different from last year or ten years ago. Hmm. Um, maybe you could explain the uh, the conflict of interest at the World Health Organization. I'm not familiar with that. People working there who have close connections to the vaccine industry. Uh, I think um, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s uh, website uh, mm -hmm. has has information about the conflicts of interest. Yeah, he's spoken quite eloquently about that. Um, and and our own CDC. You mentioned that they have a, a patent on the coronavirus. Why would they patent that? Well, so, so that they, they can license a, a, a vaccine, I, I suppose. I see. That gives them the right, sole yeah. right, to, to uh, mm -hmm. licensing a vaccine that would treat that. Yeah, and um, now Trump's, um, I can't remember the name. I think his name is Fauci, Fauci, F-A-C. I've heard him speak. Um, he actually seems like a fairly straightforward person. And he was saying it would be at least a year and a half minimum to put out a vaccine. Do you think he's just out of the uh, loop? Uh, no, no, that, that's what they've been saying. Virologists in general say it's, it takes takes time to develop it and uh, uh, to, to do actual testing. I think that's a, a very optimistic idea because if if they really had to test it, uh, you know, it would take a generation. Because uh, they tested on animals. Uh, uh, yeah, yep. and and the 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 way they have tested the safety of it, uh, for example, is to uh, in in the control group uh, to use the same uh, adjuvant, uh, aluminum adjuvant, for example, uh, which is the most dangerous component. So they're they're using fraudulent safety uh, tests. Uh, you, you can't have a, a, a test without a, a control group. I see. I mean, the, the control group is being fed the same adjuvant, which is actually an a explain what an adjuvant is, Ray. You'll do it much better than I will. It creates a derangement of. In this case, the muscle is where they inject it, and anything that you inject into the muscle is going to damage it and start an immune 
uh, corrective process, but they, they found that just uh, uh, pathogens, uh, particles, weren't enough to uh, really tear up the tissue to produce a, a violent immune reaction. So they found that aluminum oxide particles <laughs> created a, a terrific uh, immunological storm that would sometimes uh, create a little tumor uh, or abscess at the site. It was such an intense damage. But uh, that uh, extreme inflammation at the point of injection uh, activates a, a better, more systemic uh, immune reaction. It, it turns your whole body into an inflammatory system. Uh, and uh, so people very, very often have a fever uh, for a couple of days after getting a shot. Mm. So that's why some people, when they get a flu shot, they feel like they have a mild flu. Uh, yeah, it's the same thing. It's a systemic inflammatory reaction, which is the whole purpose of, of the adjuvant. Uh, it wouldn't be an adjuvant if it didn't damage your whole uh, yeah. inflammatory system. So you're saying when they when they do the testing, they don't have a controlled group that doesn't receive the adjuvant. It, it, yeah, in many of the studies, uh, that isn't uh, the, the universal situation, but uh, several of the very important studies were completely fraudulent by not having a control group. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's considered standard in uh, mm -hmm. double double blind testing, isn't it? Yeah. Um. I have a number of questions here, but maybe uh, talk a little bit more about vaccines. I, I was They keep um, harking back to the so-called Spanish flu in, uh, I think it was in 1918, that took a tremendous uh, toll in lives uh, over, I think, a year or two period. Um, they, it was blamed on Spain, I think sort of like Trump is blaming it on China, uh, but it turned out it actually came from a U.S. Army base and I just read recently uh, that that um, so-called flu that started on the army base for these soldiers who had just been drafted and then were uh, shipped over to Europe, that that might have been caused uh, by a vaccine that the Rockefeller Center was testing on those uh, soldiers who were basically uh, draftees. Um, have you heard anything about that? And I was wondering if... You if you could talk I, about I, that. I, no, I haven't heard any more than, than what you said. Uh, but uh, do you know about the movie Vaxxed? Yes, uh, I, I do. Uh, there's information in that uh, about the uh, uh, Gulf War syndrome and the anthrax vaccine. Uh, the people were getting the Gulf War syndrome without leaving the U.S. Uh, following their anthrax uh, vaccination. That's right. I think there were a lot of complaints by veterans about those uh, vaccines. Mm -hmm. um, and also the nurses who were giving them who felt terrible about uh, uh, administrating them. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just going to read a little thing here about this article I found at uh, lourockwell.com. Uh, it's looking at research that was done about this, uh, the Spanish flu. And... Uh, this uh, scientist who looked into it, who looked back at the autopsies, they were all, all the people who died of the flu, supposedly, uh, tested uh, positive for uh, uh, bacterial pneumonia. 
So for some reason, uh, they all got bacterial pneumonia, and that's what this person believes killed them. Uh, I, I, and and I, that's I, different than the flu? Oh, oh definitely, yeah. But uh, the, the CDC uh, counts uh, pr- pretty much uh, that would fall into uh, uh, the unknown category of uh, severe respiratory uh, uh, syndromes. Uh, so they, they uh, to, to get their uh, annual forty or fifty thousand deaths, that uh, they can scare people saying that's flu. Get your flu shot. It obviously isn't the flu. It's it's uh, pneumonia from uh, partly unknown causes and partly uh, a variety of uh, viruses that have nothing to do with the flu shot. Yeah, and of course, veterans uh, in that situation are in the worst environment because they're either packed into barracks or into uh, ships being shipped to Europe or in trenches where um, it's very... Uh, yeah, the con- con- conditions during the First World War uh, were not healthful in general. For the, uh, much, much of the world was influenced uh, by, by the, uh, the war conditions. So... Uh, stress uh, it itself is a cause of epidemics. Uh, a shortage of food uh, will I- increase the uh, in- incidence of infectious diseases. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, I mean, right now, if if this if it's true that this is a pandemic, it seems to mean that uh, people in all around the world are under a tremendous amount of stress. Uh, if they're succumbing to it, um, do you think that's p- possibly a, a cause? If it actually is the case that we're su- succumbing, uh, uh, yeah. If anything is unusual is happening in the disease world, uh, I think you can blame uh, sanctions as as one of the big causes. It, it's uh, uh, dislocating the, the world economy and. Uh, if you cause unemployment, you're going to increase infectious diseases. I mean, poverty causes infectious yeah. diseases. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Causes ill health. Um, <laughs> and somebody else was speculating that all the places uh, where these the hot points for this uh, viral infection uh, also coincide with uh, sites of 5G. Um, deployment, the new uh, telecommunications standard that uh, involves a lot more millimeter waves um, uh, basically being everywhere in the environment so you can't escape these uh, microwaves. Uh, do you think that could contribute to the declining uh, immune system? Uh, yeah, I, I saw a good uh, tape, an hour-long lecture by Deborah Davis uh, who she did a good book on cancer, the, the phony war on cancer, but this is a very good analysis of, of the electromagnetic damage. That Mostly they're, they're claiming that it's safe on the basis of, of absolutely no research, but the animal research that exists shows that there is a real danger that there is a uh, degradation of the immune system from, like uh, cell phones, for instance. Uh, yeah, uh, 
for example, some studies, uh, just the mild field from uh, sitting at an electric sewing machine, uh, they found that people who had worked on an electric sewing machine for 20 years had a very high rate of dementia. Uh, and anything that affects your your nervous system is affecting your immune system. Right. So another reason to go back to a treadle sewing machine and a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, I'm going to switch and go to some questions here, Ray. Uh, some people have nicely sent in questions for you tonight. I think mostly about this topic. Okay. Um, so I'll proceed with that. Uh, here's Caleb from uh, Ontario, Canada. He he would like to ask Ray how much of a role endotoxin plays in regards to a viral infection, and if the effects of endotoxin are increased in the presence of a virus. And um, maybe you could quickly tell everybody what endotoxin is. Um, endotoxin is, is a fatty acid with carbohydrate uh, attached to it. Uh, 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 the, um, uh, it's called lipopolysaccharide, uh, but it's just part of the uh, uh, coating of a, of a bacterium, and so it's uh, being produced in the, the living process of the bacteria, and uh, normally uh, our uh, intestine filters out uh, most of it, but when you're under stress, uh, more of it reaches your liver, uh, and your liver is always uh, doing a fairly good job of detoxifying it, but some of it's always circulating and activating uh, the immune system a little bit. But when you're under stress, uh, your liver gets overwhelmed with this bacterial uh, uh, material and uh, uh, lets it uh, produce inflammation and stress, uh, interfering with uh, oxidative metabolism everywhere in your body. Uh, and it's activating uh, because it interferes with uh, uh, mitochondrial energy production. It's overlapping uh, with what the angiotensin system is doing anyway, but it uh, oh, it activates the angiotensin system. Uh, so uh, the viral infection and anything stressing your intestine enough to make it permeable to bacterial materials uh, will end up the same place, making you uh, have inflammatory symptoms, sometimes with bowel-centered symptoms, other times lung and uh, uh, head-centered symptoms. Yeah, it's always amazed me. I, I, I didn't believe you when you, you know, years ago when I first hear you talk about the intestine being so connected to your other uh, organs. Uh, but I, I, but I do believe to, you now. And if you look at a map of the nerve system, your intestines are connected to all those. I, I, yeah, it, it, it's um, partly uh, chemical leaking through and partly. Uh, inflammatory substances like serotonin and histamine are produced by the intestine itself getting into the bloodstream. A, a tremendous flood of uh, serotonin shows up uh, and uh, uh, circulates in the platelets. Uh, and uh, the, the nerves uh, directly uh, can transmit uh, 
signals such such as uh, secretion of mucus and production of histamine and serotonin and nitric oxide right up in your your uh, nose membranes and throat membranes and and so the uh, you, you can treat the symptoms uh, at, at the source uh, by swallowing uh, these things uh, so that they that's why I recommend raw carrot because carrot being indigestible will help to wash out some of the bacteria that are producing the endotoxin. But if you take anti-inflammatory things with it, such as olive or coconut oil or aspirin or an antihistamine or antibiotic, the carrot will deliver that down all the way through your intestine, uh, uh, offering protection and anti-inflammatory effect. Uh, uh, so it's like early, it's, oh, go ahead. Uh, uh, an early uh, U.S. 20th century uh, gastroenterologist uh, demonstrated that uh, canine distemper, which uh, was thought of as a lung and respiratory disease, he found that. Uh, before any bacteria or, or any virus uh, occurred uh, in any of these respiratory membranes, there was already a well-established infection in the intestine, and uh, they would start uh, drooling and, and sniffling uh, because of a, a nervous or chemical signal from an inflamed intestine. Uh, so no, no pathogen uh, was present in these inflamed respiratory membranes. It was all coming from the intestine. Wow. I, I think that's very generally neglected in people treating respiratory sicknesses. They, they let them go on eating things that are known to favor bacterial growth in the small intestine, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if anybody's, I mean... And interested in a uh, everyday sort of phenomena, notice when you eat something, a lot of times your nose will start to get moist on, on the inside. Um, I, maybe it's my age now. I'm almost uh, 65, but when I uh, eat something now, it doesn't always happen, but I start to get a slightly runny nose. I, I, yeah, I, that was something I noticed about 60-some uh, years ago when I worked in the woods. Oh. I, I would come in... Uh, to eat supper in a restaurant, and I noticed day after day I, I would see someone eating pie a la mode or a milkshake, and by the time they got to the cash register, they would be sniffling. Huh. And, oh, just the thought of it. <laughs> was it just the thought of it that did that? I, I, no, I, I think it was uh, uh, loosening up uh, mucus uh, producing a, a sort of a therapeutic cleansing reaction when they got their blood sugar up. Uh, the um, first uh, stage of inflammation increases uh, circulation, uh, but it can dry up the membranes, uh, and um, they, uh, the, the mucus that they secrete becomes uh, gummy and hardened and uh, uh, produces a, a dry cough, but when you get your blood sugar up, uh, the, the process uh, can complete itself 
uh, seems to need enough energy to produce a good flow of, of blood and, and mucus production uh, so that it can uh, wa- wash away the histamine. Mm. Okay, I'm going to move on to another question. Um, running out of time here, amazingly. What about the theory that viruses are simply phages or somatid, somatids from bacteria and viral infections are really caused by occult intracellular bacteria. Luke Montinger, if I'm saying that right, probably not, for instance, insists that there must be an occult bacteria associated with HIV. Um, th- those things do exist, but I, I don't think uh, he-, he was right in, in that uh, blaming it all on occult bacteria. Uh, the, the, uh, we, we are uh, loaded with potential viruses. Uh, it's several percent of our genome. Uh, some people have identified as potential uh, uh, viruses or retroviruses, uh, and uh, these these are DNA uh, that has been built into our system uh, by. Uh, uh, an exposure to the environment. Uh, oh. uh, uh, there's a lab in Germany that shows that you can identify uh, beef uh, DNA after you eat uh, beef in the bloodstream, and then it, you can find it integrated into our genome. Hmm. Whatever we eat that has DNA in it is likely to be uh, uh, able to enter cells and be integrated uh, as, as a potential resource. But when we're put under stress, uh, it's something that Barbara McClintock uh, was very unpopular for in the 1940s and 50s when she talked about the jumping genes. But she showed that stress causes genes to come out of the chromosomes and, and move around to a different place. Hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, that since since we have these retroviruses, uh, I, I think it's uh, very uh, almost certain that uh, under stress we will express retroviruses that have been in us for generations. And uh, if you look for them, it will look like you have caught a, a viral infection from the outside. That's what Peter Duisberg has been saying now for for oh, that's, years. Oh, that's very interesting. But it's really just something coming out of you when you're un, uh, when you're getting uh, disorganized. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When uh, the people w- with the uh, uh, tests for the HIV virus have looked at blood stored from army recruits in the 1960s and 70s, every year that the stored blood showed roughly a, a one-half percent HIV infection every year the same. Hmm. And current, uh, more recent uh, tests uh, have been in the same range uh, of a general population. If you look at sick people, you'll find a higher percentage, so it looks like an epidemic. You go oh. to Africa where people are under stress uh, and exposed to many uh, uh, infectious diseases, you'll find a very high infectious rate, so-called, of HIV virus. But uh, the the standard healthy population historically has been one half percent 
and, and if you if you stir up the organism and cause uh, rearrangement of the genes, uh, as McClintock uh, showed, uh, that the stress induces the expression uh, of what we can call uh, viruses, retroviruses. I see. I'd never understood what that meant before. Um, I'm going to move right along here because uh, here's a pertinent question. Um, this is, says, uh, I heard that immunity after an, after an infection with a coronavirus is quite short-lived. Unfortunately, I do not remember where I where he heard this. Does Mr. Pete have any opinion on acquired immunity to coronaviruses? Uh, no, not at all. But uh, one thing that is known is that after this kind of, of a severe, severe respiratory infection, uh, there is a, a great increase in the risk of uh, pulmonary fibrosis uh, just because inflammation uh, leads to uh, fibrosis and reduced lung function. Uh, so uh, apart from any future risk, uh, the, I, th I think the real thing to worry about uh, is to uh, stop the progression uh, of that uh, angiotensin-related uh, uh, inflammatory uh, production of, of uh, tissue fibrosis and stiffness. I see, and anti-inflammatories will do that. Yeah. I see, and, and what's the best way of delivering an anti-inflammatory to the, to the lung? I, I think through the mouth. Okay. Uh, just, just eating it like like losartan is, is currently, uh, and the Chinese uh, are recommending uh, a, a variety of things. Uh, they are including uh, some virus killing chemicals, but I, I think their their main recommendations are losartan and sinanserin. Uh, the anti uh, anti serotonin things uh, being. Very broad spectrum protective anti-inflammatory. So, uh, I think uh, ciproheptadine is is a good, safe, uh, broad anti-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. And uh, a, a lot of people are recommending the old uh, approach to viruses, the, the idea of killing the virus. And uh, the uh, in in the seventies and eighties. Uh, uh, antivirals based on the idea of uh, nucleoside analogs to mm -hmm. mutate the DNA uh, of the virus, uh, uh, acyclovir and ribavirin, for example. Uh, and at that time, a lot of people were saying if you mutate uh, the DNA uh, or RNA of a virus, uh, aren't you likely to be mutating uh, the human DNA? And uh, the FDA approved studies that said absolutely no, they're absolutely not going to mutate your gonadal DNA. But in recent years, 40-some uh, years later, uh, the studies are saying, yes, definitely they injure the gonads and mutate human DNA. So people are now Yikes. recommending a widespread use protectively of uh, nucleoside analog antivirals, uh, but I think uh, widespread use of that is going to uh, create uh, genetic damage to the uh, reproducing population. 
Yeah, and we're already seeing a lot of sterility amongst the general population. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we barely, we really don't have any more time. So I apologize to everybody who sent in questions and we didn't get to them. Maybe perhaps, uh, Dr. Pete, you'll come back sometime and we could cover some of these. Perhaps at this point, with only uh, four minutes left to go, we should just uh, sum up uh, what's the best course of action for people to protect themselves. Um, my my first recommendation was to uh, eat well uh, and make sure your vitamin D level is up to uh, around 50 to 60 nanograms per milliliter on a blood test, uh, which often takes uh, 5,000 units a day, uh, and uh, to use a, a very safe antiviral, uh, such as aspirin. But if there's a sign of an infection, uh, then I, I think losartan and the anti-serotonin uh, things would be appropriate to limit the uh, degree of inflammation uh, and not to worry about uh, killing the virus or, or becoming immune to some uh, future variant because uh, uh, your immune system is a lot better than uh, the vaccines, but still uh, the immune system doesn't necessarily keep up with a mutating uh, virus. Mm. Okay, and the uh, losartan and ciproheptadine are good things for to uh, go to if aspirin isn't working? I, I think so. The, the Chinese re- recommend sinanserin. Uh, oh, that's right. I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, it might be better than ciproheptadine. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you can also get vitamin D from the sunlight, right, if you're in some place where it's uh, yeah. sunny enough. That's the best thing. Yeah. All right. Um, Well, thanks uh, for being on the air tonight, Ray. I really appreciate it, and I think everybody else does too. And if you don't mind sometime coming back, we'll get to these other questions. Okay, anytime. Okay, that's wonderful. So maybe we'll do it next week if you're up for it. Okay. Great. Uh, Well, thanks so much, and I'm wishing you a good night, and stay healthy. Okay, thanks. Okay, thanks, Ray. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening tonight. Uh, you heard R- Dr. Raymond P. And uh, if you want more of his information, uh, he has many articles on his website, which is raypeat.com. Uh, they're there. There's uh, no charge. You can just go there and read uh, a lot of good information and very interesting stuff, too. Uh, so I hope you can avail yourself of that. I've been your host for Politics and Science, John Barkhausen, and it looks like next week we'll be back again with Dr. Raymond Pete uh, to talk more about the coronavirus and get to some of the questions uh, that we didn't get to tonight. And thanks to everybody who sent in questions. They were excellent, and uh, we'll get to more of them next week, uh, 5 o'clock Eastern Standard Time at WMRW.org. And now it's time uh, to say this is WMRW LP Warren, and we're going to uh, Letters in Politics with Mitch Jesuits. Thanks for listening.